Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. You're through to Islamic History 2020. This is your host, Mohammed Alamgir, and I'm really pleased to have you here with us today. Today's podcast is going to be about the murder and the death of Caliph Mustashid. And hopefully I'm planning to do a episode two or a part two of this and we'll investigate the death of his son Al-Rashid. And I wasn't planning to do these two podcasts. In fact, I'm trying to go back in time a little bit more to actually just after the death of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to talk about um, the life and the times of one of the Sahabas. But I keep getting diverted and veer away because I'll read a little bit of a story about one of the people that lived at the times of one of the other podcasts. And I'm like, well, that's really interesting. Let me dig around. And you read about these loosely. And you, when you start digging into it, so much more information comes up. And this is why we're going to be doing these two podcasts. The death, who killed Caliph Mustashid? And the death of Caliph Mustashid. And, and he rightly so should have. Because, I mean, if you ask any Muslim about the Islamic Empire and the Caliphate... In modern times they will tell you it was a beautiful time and they'll say that we wish we could go back to that time and it doesn't matter which muslim you speak to in which part of the country which part of the world or which religion um, which language they speak any muslim will say that to you however it's a bit of an ignorant view because in fact what this podcast will really unre- unveil, unveil and reel back is how difficult and how much political turmoil there was at this time at this time of the islamic empire and the various caliph caliphs and some of the caliphs were really really worth worthy of noting and mentioning and caliph mustashid i mean he had a short-lived well yeah a short-lived um short-lived caliphate and he was murdered in a really brutal way. And for nothing more, I don't think, from what I can see, for nothing more than wanting to really stand up on his own two feet. So we're going to examine the political times. We need to understand these political times to really understand how fractured the Muslim empire was. Because as I said, you go back, you ask anybody about the Islamic caliphate, they'll say beautiful times. We'll explore who Caliph Mustashid was and why he would be killed. And then we're going to do a bit of a murder mystery as to who could have killed him. At the time that Caliph Mustashid entered into the world of the Caliphate and took up the thrones of being the Caliph of the Muslim Empire, it was a time when the entire empire was disjointed. There were multiple sultans there were multiple kings. There were multiple dynasties. The dynasties were fighting. They were infighting within the Muslim empire for lands. The Byzantine empire, the Romans, they were attacking the Muslims from the outer verges of the empire. And around about this time, the crusaders entered straight into the Muslim empire. So it wasn't the best of political times that he was entering into. Age 29, sorry, he was the 29th caliph 
of the Abbasid Empire uh, or the Abbasid Caliphates and the Abbasid Caliphs um, assumed power from the Umayyads in several centuries ago. And then the ruling, the biggest ruling power at that time was the Seljuk Empire. And the reason they they were highly regarded and the reason they were so so popular, I guess, with the Sunni Muslims is because just before Caliph Mustashid entered onto the scene, the Fatimid dynasty, and these are Shia Muslims who believe their bloodline goes back to Fatima, the Prophet's daughter, um, they tried to do a military coup, almost like a coup of the Caliphate, and tried to take Iraq and Baghdad uh, by force, and they would have succeeded had it not been for the Seljuk, the Sunni Seljuk fighters, the Turkish fighters entering into Iraq and saving the day. So the Seljuks had a great reputation with the wider general Sunni Muslims. But they weren't without their own problems. In previous episodes and um, podcasts, I've talked about how the Nizari Ismaili assassins assassinated Nizam al-Mulk, who was the prime minister of the Seljuks. And shortly after, the Sultan Malik Shah was also, well, he died. And many say he was also assassinated by the same Nizari Ismailis which left the whole empire in a lot of turmoil. And there was lots of infighting. So immediately when Caliph Mustashid entered and became the Caliph after the death of his father, first of all, his brother, Mutazhir, he decided not to take oath. He decided not to be, take the allegiance, uh, the, uh, the bayah, the allegiance uh, uh, from, the, from his brother. And he, in fact, relocated to a different part of the, of the country. At the time, the Sultan, the Seljuk Sultan, his name was Mahmud. And his brother, Masud, revolted against him in the second year of the Caliph's um, Caliphate. And Masud is a key player in this entire story. So bear in mind that name. So Caliph, sorry, Sultan Mahmud is the ruling Sultan. His brother, Masud, revolts against him and says, look, I don't want to be ruled by you. In fact, I should be the, probably the ruler. So there's this big beef going on between the two brothers. And so that's happening. Whilst at the same time, Sanjar, who is the ruling sultan's uncle. So Sultan Mahmud is the ruling sultan. And his uncle, Sanjar, fights Mahmud. And he wins. And they're fighting over territory. So again, I'm trying to reiterate the, the romantic idea of this unified Islamic empire at the time of the caliphs is an absolute delusion. There was so much happening just within the one empire. So you've got Sanjar, who is the uncle of Mahmud, the ruling sultan. He's fighting him. He's, he's drawn up an army. He's, in fact, hired mercenaries. And, in fact, the people he's hired, and this is important, he hires Nizari Ismailis, the assassins. He hires them. He also hires the Turks, who 
are mercenary fighters and they go out to fight Sultan Mahmud and ultimately Sanjar wins and he's now the de facto ruler of the Seljuk Empire <laughs> but guess what happens Sultan Sanjar who just won this fight his mother who is also the grandmother of Sultan Mahmud who just lost who was the ruler kind of intervened and said look you know your family your bloodline is the same let's find a compromise and so they did and that compromise was that Sultan Sanjar would be like an overlord um, you know the main ruler the, the, the daddy the big don and Sultan Mahmud would be the heir apparent and they would split the territories up so certain areas would go to Sultan Sanjar and certain areas would go to Sultan Mahmud and they would live in this kind of you know arrangement until um, a future time so so that was happening and also there was a, a big revolt from there's a few names for them they call the Dibas they call the Dubais and they call the Mazyadids Mazyadids that's right yeah Mazyadids they were a Shia sect and they essentially and this is going to go back to a, a theme that I've, I'm, I'm running at the moment. But the Shias were trying to get as much power as they want, as they could, in order to have the Shia theology as the mainstream theology. So they revolted. The, the Dubais, the Muzaids, the same thing, the Shia group, they revolted with Sultan Mahmud, who's just had a fight with his uncle, his brother, Tugharil. Tugril, Tugral. Sorry, I'm not pronouncing these very well because they're not key players within this story. So Tugral, Tugral, I think that's right. Um, they've joined. He's joined forces with the Dubais, and he's invaded. He's invaded Iraq. Iraq is where the Caliph resides. The Caliph's palace is in Iraq. The Abbasid Caliphs were known for not leaving Iraq at all, actually, and. Baghdad obviously was the central point of where the caliph's court was. And now you've got the Muzayids fighting with the former sultan's brother Tugral. And they've invaded Iraq. And something amazing happened. Something that hasn't happened for about a hundred years. The caliph raised an army and went out to fight them. And you might wonder, well, why is that so important? It was a milestone for the caliph, caliphate. This was the first time in almost over a hundred years that the caliph, any caliph, had taken to taken arms up with against anybody. Caliphs were always subdued. They were puppets of the ruling empire at the time. To give you an idea, a little bit of what that might look like. Imagine the if you're in the UK, you've got you've got the Queen, and then you've got the government. The government ultimately has the power, and the Queen has kind of like the ceremonial power, lots of honour given to her, lots of ceremony, but like not really important when you understand you know the politics. The power comes from the government. Or another example is. In Saudi Arabia, you have the great Grand Mufti. I mean, he gives religious edict. He provides religious guidance. But that's about it. And this is what the caliph was, caliph situation was. 
very ceremonial. They're supposed to provide the religious edict, but ultimately there wasn't much many people listening to them. So when the caliph raised an army, that was an actually a big sign. But Caliph Mustashid wasn't like a normal caliph. Whilst most were very much happy to play the part, go along with the status quo, be the yes man, nod their head, agree with the ruling empire, you know, take their take their payment from them for their own personal spend. They were playboys, you know, and, and you know, when we think the caliphs, we think religion, we think of the first four caliphs, the rightly guided caliphs. These caliphs were not, the Abbasid caliphs were not quite like that. You know, they would have been known for partying, drinking, lots of women surrounding them. So these caliphs, this is the, this is the lifestyle they've got into. But as I say, Caliph Mustashid broke that mold. He wasn't happy being a part of a ruling empire's puppet. He wanted to be free from interference from the Seljuk rulers, ultimately. He wanted to be independent and he wanted to rule. He wanted to actually rule not just the Islamic Empire, but the the Iraq and Baghdad and the whole area that was immediately uh, surrounded around him. I mean, at that time, cars were humiliated, they were insulted, they were deposed at the whim of the ruling parties. And he wanted to get free of this. And I'll give you an example. Sultan Mahmud, just before the fight with his uncle, imposed Ahmad Nizam al-Mulk as his vizier, as the caliph's vizier. So he's almost said to the caliph, this is your vizier, your leading man. And the caliph would normally have nothing much more to say, but okay, so if you've got the ruling empire with the uh, imposing a, a vizier with the caliph, then ultimately the caliph is going to be a, definitely a yes man for the leading empire, right? You can understand that. Well, in fact, Caliph Mustashid did sacked him. He sacked Ahmad Nizam al-Mulk. And this, these sort of things kind of started grating away at the Seljuk Empire and the leaders of the Seljuk Empire. And now raising an army against the Muzayids, Muzayids and, sorry, Muzadids, and also the, um, the brother of Mahmud, was a huge statement. It was a statement piece that he's done. As I said, it's never happened for a hundred years. And it showed the ambition this sort of caliph has got. And that ambition got him squarely onto the radar of the sultan. And he was either a magistrate or he was a general of the army. I'm not sure which one. Some some documented magistrate from Iraq going to Sultan Mahmud. Others say he was the general of Sultan Mahmud's army who went to him and said, you know, the caliph, the caliph raised a huge army. He's got a lot of support. He's also financially very stable, very, very well um, money wise. He's got the support of the people as well. The people love him. And so, you know, he could overthrow you. There's a real risk here, Sultan. And so the Sultan, so far, was quite happy with the um, with the Caliph raising an army. Because remember, in the first army he's raised is against the Shia Muzayids. And in amongst that is his brother, Tugrul. And so fighting him off is just one less thing the Sultan had to do. So, so far, he was quite okay with it. But this general or magistrate has brought this to his attention 
And the Sultan didn't want to react straight away. He wrote to the Caliph. And the Caliph's reply was, you should really look at the look at the your own empire. And you should look at the Dubais. Don't worry about me. And that was almost like a bit of a made the Sultan think, hmm, he's definitely up to something. And it, it convinced the Sultan that there was some plotting going on. So, Sultan Mahmud, not one to shy away from battles, raised a small army and sieged Baghdad. He headed to Baghdad and sieged it. But Caliph Mustafsij, as I said, wasn't one to just kneel over and bend, you know, accept the status quo. He put up a strong resistance. But he had something going for him which the Sultan didn't expect. And it wasn't military uh, might, it was in fact popular support. Never mind what Caliph Mustafsij did, the general public were enraged. They were shouting out, you heretics to Sultan Mahmud. You heretics. You rebel against the commander of the leaders. Sorry, you rebel against the commander of the Muslims, the leader of the Muslims. You should go raid Byzantine empires and Byzantine people, not the Muslims. So this is what they were yelling at Sultan Mahmud and Sultan Mahmud's army. He was being humiliated. He didn't realize the people had so much love for the caliph. And he was in a bit of a stalemate because you couldn't actually kill the caliph, not with this level of support. And this war against him, this siege against him, in fact, strengthened the caliph's position because it clearly brought the, the people out and unified them and said, no, you can't do this to the caliph. So after some time of sieging and looting the uh, palace of the caliph, they came to a reconciliation. They came to terms and they forgave each other. For the next several years, there was more civil wars. There was more infighting between the Seljuks. And ultimately, Sultan Mahmud died. And rather than being... Rather than the Sultanate being taken over by Mahmud's son, Dawood, he was actually taken over by his brother, Masood. Remember earlier on I said to him that Masood revolted against his brother, didn't take Bayah and left the city. Well, now the Mahmud has died. Masood has taken over the realm and taken over the, the Sultanate, the leadership. So you can get a feel that the Caliph Mutashid has come into the Caliphate at a time when it's completely disjointed. You simply had, since the death of Malik Shah, Malik Shah was assassinated or killed or died or assassinated by the assassins or died naturally, probably the, the first one. There was just constant fighting between the sons and the grandsons of Malik Shah. They were Atabegs and they were local dynasties and local kingdoms just going at it. And I've just given you a small example of, you know, the sultanate with the, the Seljuk sultans and the uncles and the brothers fighting, their mums and grandmothers having to sort things out. You can understand it was really politically a hotbed for trouble. Nothing was stable and it was really, really difficult to rule. So who is Caliph Mustashid? 
Well, he was a red-haired man, the 29th caliph from the Abbasid dynasty. He had freckles on his face and bright blue eyes. You can already tell, I don't have to tell you, you can use brave and courageous. In fact, he was a bit of a visionary because he had aspirations of bringing the caliphate back to its former glory. Unlike previous caliphs, he was a pious man. In fact, he was known for transmitting hadiths, which are sayings of the Prophet, peace be upon him, So, and actions of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So again, you can tell there's real religious vigor within Mustashid. He was also a calligrapher, detailed, complex Arabic art. is what he was good at. And he assumed power in this civil unrest, in this turmoil, and in this difficult time, with the real vision of bringing the energy, bringing back the, 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 the strength of the caliphate. So Sultan Mahmud, as I said, sieged the palace and looted it and came to terms with the caliph, but then died. His brother, Sultan Masud, took the power and one, went one step further and he launched a full-on war with the caliph. But why? Well, there are three reasons and it depends on which set of lenses you want to look through. Mustashid was obviously very ambitious and the Sultan was very worried. He's very popular. He could, there could be an uprising, the popular up, uh, support of the Caliph could mean the Sult Seljuk Sultanate, Sultan, Sultans could be overthrown. Mustashid definitely also played the angles. He was known for supporting less powerful princes, less powerful Amirs, and even supported Dawood, the son of Mahmud, against the current caliph Masud. So he was always playing these angles, trying to get the support and the power from one to the other. Masud also managed, Sultan Masud managed to also annoy a whole bunch of Turkish Amirs. And these Turkish Amirs deflected to join the caliph. So now that was another reason. But Masud also had plans to overtake Iraq. Iraq was always the land of the caliphs. So Ma Ma Caliph, Mah uh, Caliph Mustashid found out about these plans and these plots. And ultimately, this could have been another reason why they went to war. Sultan Masud also killed Aksankwa al-Ahmadi and he was a staunch supporter of the caliphate. If you remember, I said that the first army a few years ago raised by a caliph was by Mutasid against the Maziadids. Well, Masud honored the Maziadids, the Shias. He even gave them like ceremonial robes. Now, it was a thing back then to name out the, call out the name of the rulers in Friday sermons. And it was almost disrespectful and dishonorable to not do so. Sultan Masud didn't call out the name of the caliph. And the caliph didn't name, need out the name of the sultan. 
So you can understand there was a lot of beef going on between them. Lots of reasons why they could have went to war with each other. And ultimately they did. The Caliph went to war, went to battle against the Sultan. The Sultan went to war, went to battle against the Caliph. The Caliph, in fact, received many letters. He received letters of support. Many saying, we'll join you en route. Many saying, wait for me, I'm coming. Others saying, if you hold back, I'll send you troops. So he had lots of support from the wider, uh, wider empire. However, the support was really lip service because many of the army deserted en route. Many of those who said they will join didn't to join. And when the two armies, the Sultan's army and the Caliph's army, were lined up with each other, ready to go to war, the entire left flank of the Caliph's army joined the other side. This desertion caused chaos within the Caliph's army and most of the army on the Caliph's side saw the left flank join the Sultan and either joined the Sultan themselves or left the, uh, the battlefield. This left the Caliph extremely exposed and not surprisingly he was captured by the Sultan. Sultan Masoud took him prisoner. But now he's in a bit of a stalemate. I've got the Caliph. I've won the war. But what am I supposed to do with him? I mean, he is the Caliph. So the Caliph is the representative or the predecessor, the, the person that takes over the, the leadership of the Muslims on earth. And he's related to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So what am I supposed to do with him? So he's, he's, he's a little bit stuck. Now, at this point, if you just go into your typical Islamic history, what, what you'll read is the following. Or if you look into it as the very, very surface level, you'll read the following. Sultan Masood imprisoned the Caliph. At the same time, in parts of Iraq, in Iran, there were tremors and earthquakes. And so the Sultan realized this was a sign from God, went to the Caliph, sought forgiveness and returned him to Iraq honorably. En route to Iraq, he was killed by the assassins and that's, that's it. That's where it can come to stop. But the reality of it is a little bit different. And we're going to dig into that a little bit more. The Sultan did take him as a prisoner and kept him for three months. But took him as a prisoner as his, in his own personal capacity of guarding him. He was responsible for guarding him. He had his own, his own private guards looking after him. Or his personal bodyguards, the Sultan's personal bodyguards, was responsible for guarding the Sultan's uh, Caliph. You know, this was a high value prisoner. You know, he doesn't know what to do with him. He's certainly not going to just chuck him into a jail. So, in fact, he kept him with him close. And straight after the battle with the Caliph, the 
Sultan was heading towards Azerbaijan to fight a man called Dawood, who was the son of Sultan Mahmud, who should have been the caliph, but was deposed and taken, and sorry, it's not the caliph, he should have been the sultan, he was a son of Sultan Mahmud. Mahmud died and his brother took the sultanate when he should have really went to his son. And his son was causing a lot of problems, Dawood, over in Azerbaijan, raising an army ready to go and attack Masud. So therefore, he was heading to um, Azerbaijan. And so the caliph was in a tent as a prisoner, private guards guarding him en route as well. Now, Ibn al-Jawazi says the following, Sultan Sanjar, as I mentioned, the uncle of Masud and Mahmud, the overlord, he'd sent a convoy to Masud to make him go and apologize to the caliph and set him free. Yes, there were tremors. Yes, there were earthquakes. Yes, the people in Iraq and across the empire was shocked by the fact that the caliph would, was imprisoned. People stopped going to the mosques. You know, there were women lamenting in the streets. There was, there was uprising everywhere. So Sultan Sanjar said to his nephew, go, go and set him free. Apologize and go set him free. And in that envoy of 24, they say there were 17 assassins. And those 17 assassins, or of the group of those 17 assassins, one, two, or three, or four, however many, went into the tent, caught the caliph reading the Quran, stabbed him, probably with a poisoned dagger, that was the MO of the assassins, and cut off his noses and his ears, as for good measure. This raises a few problems, though. The first problem it raises is the caliph was in a guarded tent as a prisoner. So he was being held a prisoner, but he wasn't in a jail. He was in a tent. It was a normal tent. But there was guards surrounding him. So how did the assassins manage to bypass a whole bunch of guards? Now, in previous episodes, we talked about assassins and how they are, you know, known for being sneaky and crafty. But come on. You've got a high-value prisoner. I don't know. Let's just put it into modern times. If if the Prime Minister of the UK was arrested by, I don't know, America, they wouldn't just chuck him into a normal prison. They wouldn't just put normal guards in front of him. You know, this is a high-value prisoner. Same thing, more valuable. So how is it they were able to bypass these guards? Well, what... The commentators say is that the whole party came out, everyone came out to greet and meet the envoy of 24, which is questionable. So even though commentators and, 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 and Ibn al-Jawazi and other historic commentators at the time, they didn't blame the sultan or they didn't blame anybody but the assassins. Later, more modern historians who started looking at this story said, actually, there's more to it. And some say it was Sultan Sanjar, the uncle, the overlord, and the uncle of Masud, who actually pl planted the assassins into the envoy. Others actually say it was Masud that orchestrated it. He said he didn't know what to do with, this, um, uh, with the caliph. The caliph was a clear threat to his rule. 
he didn't certainly want to obey his uncle. It was humiliating to go and apologize to the caliph. So he orchestrated it so that he would be killed by his own people and then he would blame the assassins. Now, that's not completely out the question because remember, Masood, as I mentioned, killed Asankar, the caliph's ally, and that was one of the reasons they could have went to war. And Asankar was killed, and then they blamed the assassins. Masood blamed the assassins. Now, the assassins did have a vested interest in killing the caliph, and the reason for this is because at that same time, Go back to the Assassins Part 1 and 2, Man of the Mountain and the Deviant Sect. At that same time, they were in negotiations about creating a separate Ismaili state. And the Caliph would have thrown a spanner into the works. So I can understand there was a vested interest in the Assassins wanting to have the, assass the Caliph assassinated. But then Part 2 of this will talk about Al-Rashid, the son of Al-Mutashid, he was also apparently assassinated by the assassins, but he was deposed at that point and posed no risk to the assassins whatsoever, but he did pose a risk to the Seljuks. Furthermore, they say there were 17 assassins in a convoy of 24. I mean... One assassin in amongst 24 people? Yeah, you could probably sneak in there. But 17 people, that's a large number of people to be from one, well, not part of the main group, of a group of 24, and for no one to notice. So I think there's more to it than what meets the eye. And what we'll certainly be doing is exploring in part two what happened with Al-Rashid. And how he came to his death. What's important to know, in the history of the Abbasid Caliphs, there was only two murders of the Caliphs, there was only two Caliphs murdered, and the both of them were posing threats to the Seljuk Empire. So it does raise more questions than it answers. But this is the story of Caliph al-Mutashid, a man who went against the grain, who didn't want to be a puppet in the political sphere of the ruling class. I mean, the Seljuks were powerful. They were able to impose their order and rule upon the various different caliphs. And most of the caliphs, for the better part, just played their part and nodded their head. And we've talked about some of the some of the stories of the caliphs and what they would get up to. And it is a little bit sad. And so this is a a tribute, if you like, to Caliph al-Mutashid and what he tried to achieve. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be successful. His son would take on the reins and go forward with that as well. But he again would be unsuccessful. But also this podcast is a bit of an awakening to anyone who believes that the 
Islamic Empire under the Caliphate was something that was amazing, that was great and unified, and we should return there. I mean, I've given you a slap, snapshot of what it looked like, and you can see there was lots of infighting and lots of war happening amongst their own ruling class. And this is not including other dynasties and other families. And so we need to look at our own history and try to understand it a little bit more in order for us to get a better understanding of how not to make the same mistakes as we have done in the past. And I've already mentioned Ibn Athir and Ibn al-Jawazi. It was Ibn al-Athir, yeah. They are like the main two historical scholars that documented the lives of the of the caliphs, the Abbasid caliphs. And neither of them two said there was anything un, 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 anything to report. But it was later more modern historians that actually started to say that possibly it was Sultan Masud or Sultan Sanjar who had the caliph executed. Wallahu alam, Allah knows. I can't comment on it. I don't know. The evidence does lead itself to, you know, there could be foul play. And as I was writing my notes and taking down my commentary on it, I thought about making a statement of who I thought it could be. And then I thought, no, I can't because whoever I do, I'm pointing fingers at somebody with very little evidence and the charge is murder. So I'm going to hold my judgment back on that and say God knows best. But ultimately, the caliph was definitely murdered. And in part two of this, we'll look at who his son, Al-Rashid, and how he was murdered and why he possibly was murdered. And we'll get a full holistic understanding. I hope you've been enjoying these uh, podcasts. They're out on Spotify. They're out on all major podcast provided, uh, listening providers. I've been doing this for Radio Ramadan, so if you're listening on Radio Ramadan, please tune in to Islamic History 2020. We are on Spotify. We're on all major podcast providers. I don't know what you would listen to it on, but if you listen to podcasts, get on there, search Islamic History 2020. Give us a like, give us a share. And when I say give us, I mean give me a like, give me a share, because it's me doing this. And I'm hoping that you're taking some benefit from it. And I enjoy doing it. I enjoy bringing out the history of our own people and our own background and exploring that a little bit further. Normally, we overlay it with Western literature and Western commentary. But this particular podcast focuses specifically on two sources. And the sources are Shia Islam, Shia Muslims and Sunni Muslims because it was a very much an internal civil dispute is a civil war type thing which didn't require outsiders to comment on it much um, or get involved much so part two we'll look at al-rashid his son but up until then i hope you've enjoyed listening to this this is mohammed you alam gear your host please tune in for future uh, podcasts on islamic history 2020 we're on spotify we're on all major podcast providers thank you